welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Donald Gray Barnhouse. His sermon reveals the truth surrounding Jonah. About 25 years ago, there was a famous murder trial in Chicago of two Jewish boys, Loeb and Leopold, who had murdered little Bobby Franks. And when they were arrested, the family hired to defend them the noted atheist Clarence Darrow. And when Darrow was coming to the summing up of the evidence before the case was presented to the jury, he spoke of a certain person's testimony that seemed to have had a little variation in it, and he turned to the jury and said, any man that would be fool enough to believe that man's testimony would be fool enough to believe that a whale swallowed Jonah. Well, there were quite a few Christians on the jury, and there were some of them that evidently were fool enough to believe that the whale uh, did swallow Jonah, and they were fool enough to believe the testimony. At all events, they convicted their, his clients of murder. Now... People have laughed at the book of Jonah for many years. In fact, there are people that laugh at it today. Every once in a while, you will see some minister who's seeking publicity. It's always sure of publicity. You can make publicity if you make some statement of disbelief. I once talked to newspaper men in Philadelphia about the fact that they once in a while came to my church, but I said, you never put what I say in the papers on Monday. And they said, it's not news. Yesterday, for instance, you were preaching on the doctrine of the virgin birth. That's not news. I said, suppose I denied it. And the newspaper man sort of looked up. He said, brother, that would be front page news, Associated Press, coast to coast, front page in every paper in the United States. I said, sure, that's it. It's not news to believe, but it is news to deny. And you'll find people, modern ministers today, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, that'll talk about the myth of Jonah and that this is a, something that's given to us as a parable and so on. Well, I'm going to present it to you as solid fact because if I do not believe that the whale swallowed Jonah, then I do not believe Jesus Christ when he said, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. Now, in order to understand this great book, let's find out, first of all, what it means, and I have to translate the geography to you. Remember this, that the Jews were 100% super patriots, and they had just been in trouble with people from the east of them, and Nineveh was a great city, and they were afraid that Nineveh would send troops and would control them. And all of a sudden, God said to Jonah, Jonah, you go and preach to Nineveh, and I'll send a great revival there. And Jonah, being a super patriot, started in the other direction. Let me translate this. And the word of the Lord came to Solomon Epstein in Atlanta, Georgia, and said, Solomon Epstein, arise and go to Berlin, that great city in Germany that produced Hitlerism, and you go and preach to it, and I will make the Nazis rise again, and they'll be a great power. And so Solomon Epstein went to San Francisco and bought a one-way ticket for Australia. Now, that's exactly the geography of the book of Jonah. It's the Jew who didn't want the Nazis to rise again, starting in the opposite direction for the ends of the earth. And this is what happened. God said to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh and cry against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, brother, you start fleeing from the presence of the Lord and you got your work cut out for you. Hadn't Jonah ever read the Psalms? Though I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Though I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, thou art there. I once was crossing the Pacific Ocean and I was on the old dollar line steamship. You bought a ticket around the world and you could get off at any port and stay two weeks or four weeks and every two weeks a ship comes around and you merely make your reservation ahead and go. So I'd gotten off at Honolulu and I was preaching in Honolulu and in the islands for two weeks. Two weeks later I got on the next ship that came through on its way to Yokohama. And the ship had come in in the morning about eight o'clock and all the tourists had been off for the day and the ship was to leave that night about eight or nine o'clock. So I walked on board and said to the chief dining room steward, now put me at a table where I'll have some pleasant companions. He said, now there's a doctor and his wife and I think her sister. And he says, the three of them are there at a table. And he said, I'll put you at that table. He said, they're very fine people. So when supper time came, I went in, introduced myself. In fact, the steward introduced me to them and sat me there. And I was very, very careful not to let them know I was a preacher. Uh... I like them to, you know, if you tell them first off, they put on a mask and try to make you think they're a whole lot better than you are. But let them cuss a while and tell a few off-color stories. Then you tell them you're a preacher and, brother, you've they've had their guard down. You can come in and really sock them. And so we talked through supper and they didn't have the remotest idea that I was a preacher. We talked about this and that. And when we were through, we walked up on the deck. And as we were going, walking along the deck in the moonlight, I said to them, where are you going? They had asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, I'm going to give some lectures in Chuyo University in Tokyo. And um, uh, I said, what are you doing? And one of the women said, oh, we're going around the world. I said, what for? Oh, to get away from it all. I said, but you brought it all with you. She said, that's the hell of it. Now, you see, I say this because it'll make you realize that you can never run away from God. You can't do it. You cannot run away from God. Wherever you go, you're going to take your conscience with you. You're going to take your own history with you. You're going to take your memory with you. And you cannot get away from God. And here was Jonah trying it. What was the name of the ship? It doesn't say, but I like to think that the name of the ship was, it's a good name for a ship, the wings of the morning. And I like to think it was that because in the Psalms it says, though I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, thou art there. Now, I want you to note this great fact about Jonah. He rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord and he went down to Joppa and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. Now, if you look on your maps of the Bible, you'll find that they call a place Tarshish that's just outside Gibraltar on the Atlantic Ocean on the coast of Spain. But I'm quite sure that that was not the real Tarshish. This was merely the jump-off point for Tarshish. Because in Hebrew, the root Tarshish means tin land. And the only tin land in the ancient world was Britain. 99%, in fact, probably 100% of all the tin that's used in the bronze of the Roman sculptures and the buildings of Greece and the Mediterranean was mined in England and taken in rowboats down the ocean and through the Mediterranean. And so Jonah was really off to the uttermost parts of the earth. He was really trying to get away from God. Nineveh was in this direction and Tarshish was up there. And he said, I'm going to go so far that they can never get me back to Nineveh. But you see, when God has his hand on a man, God is going to keep his hand on that man. Well, he went to run away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind unto the sea. Now, I want you to notice this verse, this line. 
he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof. I always like that verse because there's a great deal in it. He paid the fare thereof, and there's no record in the Bible that he got any money back for the unused portion of his ticket. If you run away from God, you'll always pay your own expenses, and you'll never get where you think you're going. I've dealt with young people who've broken their homes and marriages and started it off in another direction, and they said, well, now we're going to find happiness, but they didn't. You see people that say, well, I'm going in this direction and get it, but they don't. They, he paid the fare thereof. And you run away from God, and I don't care who you are and what direction you're going, if you run away from God, you're going to pay the fare, and you're never going to get delivered. You can be sure of this. This is a law of God. I never think of this phrase, he paid the fare thereof, without thinking of Moses' mother. Somebody say, May, what on earth connection is there between Jonah and Moses' mother? Well, there's a line in the story of Moses' mother that's just the opposite of this. You remember Moses' mother believed God? And she took and made a little ark of bulrushes for the baby. And the baby, Moses, is the only baby in the Bible whom God says is beautiful. Now, every mother, of course, thinks that her baby is beautiful. The Germans have a proverb, jeder Mutterskind ist schön, every mother's child is beautiful. And that's true, a mother looks at her little baby, and even though it looks like a beet that has been left too long in the frigid air, nevertheless, it's a beautiful baby. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's her baby, and it's beautiful. But the Bible says twice that Moses was a beautiful baby. You read this when Stephen was giving his great address just before he was killed as the first Christian martyr. He said, now when Moses was born, he was exceeding fair. And then in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, it says Moses was hid of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And so why was this baby beautiful? Well, it makes it hang together, the whole story, because if it had been an ugly little wrinkled beet, Pharaoh's daughter would have said, oh, how ugly, throw it into the Nile to the crocodiles. But the baby was beautiful, beautiful, and this was bait for the world. See, the world always wants something that's beautiful. A person that's born photogenic already has, always has a much harder row to hoe than somebody that's born uh, slightly off-center. Uh, this is true, you know, and you can thank God if, you're, if you don't look like some of the Hollywood star starlets. You can thank God for it, because if you do, the world makes a very high bid, and a person that's born with nothing more than the physical proportions and so on is very frequently in much greater danger, temptation. Well, Moses was a beautiful baby, and this was bait for Pharaoh's daughter, and so she called Miriam, who was standing by, and said, go get one of the Jewish mothers to nurse this child. And the baby's own mother came. And she looked at that baby. Now, if, 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 if Pharaoh's daughter had said, you're a wicked woman and you're probably conniving and this is disobedience to my father's command, but I'll spare this child if you let my sword bearer cut your hand off. Moses' mother would have been willing to have both hands cut off to save the life of her boy. But that's not the way God does. When you're in God's will, you don't never pay your own expenses, and you always get where you're going. But when you're running away from God, you always pay your own expenses, and you never get where you're going. And so in the story of Moses, we find that the woman said, the princess said to Moses' mother, you nurse the child, and I will pay your wages. Isn't that marvelous? And so the mother got her own baby back in her arms. And what would she have rather done than anything else in the world? She would have rather, if someone had said, what would you rather do than anything else in the world? Oh, give me back my baby and let me have my baby next to my breast. 
And Pharaoh's daughter says that you get the thing you want most and you get paid for it besides. Now let me tell you, if you do the will of God, you will always have the Lord's will. And you will very definitely have God take care of you. But if you run away from God, you will always pay your own expenses and you'll never get delivered. A few years ago in Philadelphia, someone was talking about a certain young man who'd gone into the brokerage business. And somebody said, perhaps we ought to throw him a little business because after all, remember his father was so godly in the Christian businessmen and so on. And this boy is a little far away. And I said, brother, don't invest any money with him. I said, invest it with an atheist. He may make some money for you. But the boy who is a child of believing parents and who's running away from God, God has to smack him down. Of this you can be absolutely sure. The wicked may flourish like the green bay tree, but the child of the covenant that's out of the will of God, God is going to have to smash him. And this is what happened with Jonah. He was the true child of the covenant. He was out of the will of God, running away from God, and God had to make him pay his own expenses and then get him thrown overboard. The Lord sent out a great wind, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And then the mariners were afraid. The Hebrew word is the salts, S-A-L-T-S. You see, Jonah was a Jew and traveling, and he undoubtedly came down as a tourist and paid his wages to the, paid the fare to the captain of the ship, walked up and down and listened to the talk, made himself very much a traveler. You can always tell the people that haven't traveled much. If you have friends that ever went to France once, they probably let you know it for a year after. Merci beaucoup, je vous aime, uh, très bien, and tried to show the little bit of French that they did not know. Uh, and when Jonah wrote this, this prophecy, he, Jonah added to it all the way through in Hebrew. Everything in it is absolutely nautical, as though Jonah would say, you see, I'm a traveler, I know. I know the difference between starboard and port. And he, he really went after it. And all these details are here that show the authenticity of the story. The mariners were afraid. It says they cried every man to his own God. You see, you have no right to cry every man to his own God. Someone says, why, this is America. Every man has a right. That's not true. Well, Dr. Barnhouse, don't you believe in religious freedom? Yes, but what do I mean by religious freedom? By religious freedom, I mean the right of every man to go to hell in his own way or to go to heaven in God's way. Don't ever think for one second that every man in Atlanta has a right to tell God how he's come to heaven. This is not true. There is one way to God and there are not two ways to God. Fortunately, Jesus lived before Emily Post. And when the woman at the well said, which is the place to offer sacrifice, at Mount Gerizim or at Jerusalem? Our fathers say Mount Gerizim and the Jews say at Jerusalem. Now, if Jesus had belonged to the greater Jerusalem council of Jews, Protestants, and Catholics, and meeting together for a fellowship of faiths, he would probably have said, well, after all, there's a syncretism and there's something good in all religions and we're trying to build a better world. But what did Jesus say? Woman, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Well, how did Jesus dare be so intolerant? Oh, Jesus was tolerant, tolerant. He said, Jerusalem, you can go to hell if you want. How often would I have gathered thee to my bosom as a hen gathereth her chicks, but ye would not. And in that day, he said, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. You shall be cast down to hell. Don't forget 
that Paul is not the Bible teacher of hell. The doctrine of hell is not Paul's doctrine or an Old Testament doctrine. The doctrine of eternal punishment and damnation is Jesus' doctrine. If you're going to study the doctrine of hell, you get it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from the teachings of Jesus. Any hope that there might be for those who have never heard the gospel comes from Paul, never from Jesus. And in the balance of truth, we simply say, Lord, you're going to do it in your way. And we bow before your way, and we know you never make a mistake. But don't forget, dear friends, that nobody has a right to pray except through Jesus Christ. If you see on television somebody walk up to the table and say, God bless this food, amen, that is not a Christian prayer, and God does not receive it. And in school, they say to our young people, now, you mustn't pray in Jesus' name. This offends the Jews. Well, I'd rather offend the Jews than Jesus Christ. And I'm not so sure that it offends the Jews. I had a meeting in Pueblo, Colorado, and it was held under the Council of Churches of Pueblo, Colorado, in, the big, in a big theater during what they call Holy Week. Uh, the other 51, I guess, aren't holy, but at any rate, you know what I mean, Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And I preached the gospel and preached it, and the Methodist minister wrote a letter to the paper, and they published it in the front page, and he chided me for being so outspoken. He said, after all, the Council of Churches includes the Jewish rabbi, and for Dr. Barnhouse to come and say that there's only one way for salvation, that this goes beyond modern liberal thought and so on. And there it was, and the, it crowded the theater to the doors, you know. They all came to see what it was that the Methodist minister was knocking but the next day, lo and behold, the Jewish rabbi wrote a letter and said, don't ever say such a thing. We Jews respect Dr. Barnhouse because he stands up and says what we be he believes, and he does. we do not respect the person that compromises his faith for fear of hurting anybody else. And I always rejoice in that fact. And don't ever be afraid uh, to stand up and be counted. And all these people that cry every man to his own God say, it's all right. You can keep on praying, but God is not hearing your prayers because your God is really the devil under another name. For there is only one God, true God, and that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When a politician says, and God bless our country, you know his radio time's running out. If you're ever listening to radio or television and hear a politician named God, you know his radio time's about to be cut off. See, he has to put that in in the last moment. And it is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ he's talking about. They cried every man to their, his own God. And it goes on to say that Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. This is one of the saddest sentences in the Bible. He was fast asleep. You know, they talk about sleeping like a baby. Well, don't ever talk about sleeping like a baby to a young father who's raised several children because he knows some nights they don't sleep and he has to get up and walk up and down with them. Sleep like a baby. No, 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 no. Sleep like a top? Well, maybe, because the top rolls off in the corner, but it's inanimate. If you really want a figure of speech, say, sleeping like a fundamentalist preacher running away from God. See, that's exactly what Jonah was. He was running away from God, and he had seared his conscience. And he was out of the will of God, and he says, God Almighty, you want me to go there and preach at Nineveh, and you say you'll send a big revival, but I don't want those people converted. I'm not going to do it. It would not be what I want. I don't want this blessing of another race than my own race, and it cannot be, and I'm going to go the other way. And he went down into the ship, and he fell fast asleep, and he had his conscience seared as with a hot iron. Brother, let me tell you, it's a terrible thing when a man gets out of the will of God and starts to run away from God. He can even be quiet and calm and say to people, well, I'm not bothered. Well, brother, you're going to be someday. 
So the shipmaster came to him and shook him and said, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God, if so be that God will hear us and that we perish not. It's a terrible thing when the ship captain, an unsaved ship captain, has to call upon the Christian to get to acting like a Christian. Every once in a while it happens. You'll hear the world chide the church. Why doesn't the church do this and do that? And oh, how terrible it is to have to chide the Christian for doing what he ought to do. Why aren't we doing what we ought to do? Why is it that the church is the last to understand social righteousness? Why is it that they're the most uneasy in their conscience and not doing God's will? in some of the most important things in the social life of the world today. Why is it, oh, I tell you, Jonah's fast asleep with scar tissue over his conscience, and God is going to have to take him and throw him overboard. And God is going to have to do that to us if we continue to make Christianity a little copyright patented thing that belonged to just our little group. Awake thou. And they said every one to his fellow, Come now and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this thing has come upon us. Now this was quite right. They were going, I don't know whether they'd draw straws or flipped a coin or did anything like that. But you see, there's a verse in the Bible that a lot of people don't know is there. How many people are there that know that the Bible says man throws the dice, but God makes the spots come up? Now, this is true, you see. Man can throw the dice, but God makes the spots come up. That's Proverbs chapter 16. Man throws the dice, but God makes the spots come up. Matthew 16, Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 33. Now, I'll admit that's my own translation. But, you see, the way it is in the King James Version is this. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, in the ancient world, they gambled with a little bone out of a sheep's knee because every sheep has in his knee a little bone that has six points in it so that when you throw the bone down, it falls in a different pattern. It can fall in six different patterns. And 4,000 years ago, they were saying, roll them bones. And they, it's only in the last 50 years that they have dice so accurate made with caliper that they're not uh, false dice. But they used to throw bones, and naturally these men were dressed in long dresses, and they would squat down Turk fashion, put out their knees, and they immediately had a flat lap, and they threw these bones down onto the woolen cloth. And it fell in one of many different ways, and it says, Man casteth the lot into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Which means exactly man throws the dice, but God makes the spots come up the way he wants. You can never cheat God. If you don't think that he's running all things, you just don't know God. God has planned all things, even down to the fall of the dice for every gamble or every flip of a coin. God knows exactly how the cards are going to come, how the tea leaves are going to be. And the devil tries to make you think you can find out the future in some way. And the devil always says yes, 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 yes to your desire. Have you ever seen a Ouija board? Well, do you know what Ouija means? Did you know that Ouija means yes, yes? O-U-I, as in French, oui, 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 and J-A, ya, ya, in German. And Ouija is oui, ya, yes, yes, in French and German. 
And if you try to get things from the devil, the devil will always say yes, yes to anything you want. You find people that do this. They say, well, I'm going to flip a coin, and if the coin says heads, I'll do this. And if it says tails, I don't want to do this, but if it says tails, I'll do it. So it falls tails, and you say, well, I'll try again. <laughs> ah, tails, it heads, it came out heads, you see, and I said I'd take it to heads, and they follow what they want to do themselves. You can kid yourselves this way. Well, Jonah, the whole story goes into high gear now. They jumped around him, and they said, where are you from? Where are you going? What are you doing? What are you doing? How does this happen? What is it? And they all talked at once. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Jehovah which made the sun and the dry land, the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. Now, why were they afraid? Well, do you think for one minute the whole eastern world didn't know about the Jews? Do you think that Pharaoh's army could have been drowned without the whole world learning about it? Do you think that Jericho could have fallen down without people being up on a mountain behind a tree looking at it and come down and seeing what happened? Do you think that the Jews could have come in and had all the victories they had at the time of Samson and Jephthah and Gideon without... The world knowing about it, and the news got up to Sidon and Tyre and the sailors, and they carried it all over. There's a tribe out there, there's a tribe out there, and they've got a God, and that God, that Jehovah, that God of the Jews, he, he destroyed Pharaoh's army. That God's got more on the ball than any other God. And so when these men heard that he was a Jew and that he was running away from the presence of the Lord, then they said unto him, what should we do to thee? Now, if you want to know how nasty and mean a man out of the will of God can be, you notice how he took the bit in his teeth and said, I'll tell you what you do, you throw me overboard. Now, if he had said, turn the ship around and start back for shore so I can obey God, and they had turned the ship around, why, right away, they wouldn't have had to lose the masts and the freight and so on. And God would have sent calm immediately, but he said, throw me overboard. In other words, I'd rather die than do the will of God. And there's some of you people that way, too. And you've got to face the fact that there's some things in life that you'd say, well, I'd rather die. I know it's God's will that things be done this way, and I know it's Christian that things be done that way, but we don't want them Christian. We want them our old southern tradition way. And don't forget that fact. And you can be as blind as Jonah and running away like Jonah, and you can put scar tissue over your conscience, and you can say, throw me overboard. But God is running his universe, and don't forget this fact. And we've got to face these things. And God will never allow, even though you put scar tissue over your conscience, God will never allow you to be quiet and at peace while you're out of the will of God and running away from what he wants. Well, they said, take him up, take me up, and cast me into the sea. But nevertheless, they worked hard to bring it to land. And finally, they cried to Jehovah. Now look in verse 14. I believe that every sailor on board that ship got saved. I expect to see this crew in heaven when I get there. Because you discover in verse 14, the crew all begins to pray, not now each man to his own God, but each man to Jehovah. Wherefore, they cried unto Jehovah, and they said, We beseech thee, O Jehovah, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Jehovah, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared Jehovah exceedingly, and offered blood sacrifice unto Jehovah, and made vows. And here they were, Gentiles, who were saved, just exactly like Naaman the Gentile was saved, just like Ruth the Moabitess was saved. These people turned to Jehovah, and I expect to see them in heaven. 
Now the Lord had prepared a great fish, and now we come to the last point I'm going to make. Someone says, now, Dr. Barnhouse, don't you know enough about whales to know that a whale can't swallow anything bigger than a sardine? To which I say, how many whales' throats have you looked down? You know, if you were going to write a doctor's thesis on chickens, it would be very easy. In the backyard, you could put up a pen for white menorcas, and, and you could put one up for Rhode Island Reds, and you could put one up for cochins and buff cochins, and you could make a real study of chickens in your own backyard. But if you were going to write a doctor's thesis on whales, where would you keep them? You don't have a big enough swimming pool. Now, you see, 50 years ago, people thought that there was no whale any bigger than that which could swallow a sardine. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that if whales had been that way, they're not, I'll show you in a minute, I would still have believed the Bible. Because my God is so great that if he wanted to, he could send a whale with wings from Savannah and it could come down Memorial Street and turn, make a turn on Moreland Avenue and come and swallow this church with everybody in it and then fly to sea again. If God wanted to do it, he could do it. You see, I'm so sorry for people that have a little God. God created man in his own image. And then man turned his back on God and has created a God in his own image and he's always in trouble with him. And man is in trouble with a little God who can't do anything, but my God can do anything. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He made the sea and he walked on it. He made iron and the law of gravity and he made the iron swim. He made the sun sand stand sail. And if somebody says, well, you don't believe that, don't you know anything about astronomy? Well, I know more about God than I do about astronomy. And anybody that knows more about God than he does about astronomy isn't worried since God is the author of astronomy. And you know, greater than creating the stars, God created the astronomer. And that's ourselves, and he made us in his own image. And how wonderful this is. Oh, how marvelous. But you see... Even from a human point of view, the miracle is not that the whale couldn't have swallowed Jonah. Because today, we know in science, we know that there are at least 20 different kinds of whales. There's what you might call Great Dane whales and Pekingese whales and Cocker Spaniel whales and all kinds and sizes of whales. There was a man named Frank Bullen, B-U-L-L-E-N, who was a medical doctor in London about 1905 or 6, and he went down near the docks to deliver a baby in the middle of the night. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, he came out, and as he reached the corner, some men, a press gang that were trying to get kidnapped sailors to go on board a whaling vessel, threw a blanket over him and put chloroform under his nose, and when he became conscious, he was on board a ship, and it was off for a two-year cruise. They couldn't get sailors to enlist, so the captain paid the press gang so much, and they kidnapped waterfront characters and took them on board, and they happened to get a medical doctor. And for the first time, a medical doctor was able, a scientifically trained man, to observe whales at close quarters. And in his book, The Cruise of the Cachalot, cachalot means the sperm whale, he tells the story of how they harpooned whales, and they always dragged the whale to the back of the ship and they would keep it there for about 24 or 48 hours till it was completely dead before they directed on the back of the ship and began the flensing process of reducing it to its component parts. Now, as they did this, you see the whale, they let it die there because its movements were violent. Just as if you've ever seen a chicken with its head cut off, it'll jump 20 feet sometimes. And so it is that a whale, when it's dying, it can be very destructive. 
and it always vomits. It always empties its belly. Well, it, Frank Bullen tells the story how there was a great storm, just as they saw some magnificent whales. And they shot their harpoon into amazingly beautiful specimen. And they finally brought it to the back of the ship. And the storm was approaching in such a way that the captain had to choose between cutting the rope and letting the whale go adrift and running ahead of the storm to be safe, or to deck the whale up, to derrick it up on the back of the ship before it was completely dead. So they got it up and they tied great cords around it to keep its whale, its tail from knocking down the stanchions and so on. And finally, as it was there dying, it regurgitated and Frank Bullen stood with by this whale and out from its mouth came a piece of squid fish which he measured with a tape measure and it was eight feet long by six feet white by six feet high, 350 cubic feet in one bite, as big as a bunch of Jonah's like tied together like a bunch of asparagus. So don't ever tell me that a whale can't swallow anything bigger than a herring. The miracle was not that Jonah was swallowed. The miracle was that Jonah was not digested. Now, the, I'll show you how important this is, and the whole Bible narrative hangs on this fact. Now, if you ever got to Narragansett or any of the other whaling ports, I believe Richmond, California is the last one left in the United States from which they do whaling expeditions. But if you'd go there and get a quart of gastric juice from the whale's belly, that acid is so strong that it will dissolve shark skin, which is the strongest product known in nature. And yet it did not dissolve Jonah. Why didn't the acid dissolve Jonah? Simply because of the fact that God Almighty was using it as a picture of the fact that death would not dissolve Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 2. And Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost. And here is the great fact spoken there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where he says in verse 25, David speaketh concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And then he says, now David was corrupted and his grave is here. He wasn't talking about, about his own body, but in verse 30, he says, being a prophet, verse 31, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So the great miracle is that Jesus' body was not decayed. I once asked a great surgeon who had done a, a spinal transplant who had opened a man's calf of his leg and had cut a piece of his shin out and had sewn it to his spine in order to stop tuberculosis of the spine, I said, why can't you get the bone from somebody else? He said, I'll tell you, doctor, death is too fast for us. He said, I suppose we could take a piece from another man's leg and put it in a man here, providing that the man had had an accident and was brought into the hospital and we knew that at 2.30 we were going to amputate his leg and he said that at 2.35, we were going to take this man and operate on him. We might make it, he said, but even then, it would be touch and go. And I would hate to put a piece of bone out of this man's body into this man's body. Now, he said, we can do it in blood transfusions and we can do it in corneal transplants. He said, but 
He said, the body is so arranged that when the heart stops beating, it's almost as though there were regiments and army corps and companies and battalions of germs of decay and disintegration from the toenail to the hair that leap out to destroy the body. And the body begins to go back to death in a matter of seconds from the time death comes. But this process did not happen to Jesus. And that's the thing that's said here. This is one of the reasons why we know that Jesus was born of the virgin and that Jesus did not have a human father and that his body was not entirely like our body. We're in the flesh, but he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. But it was not a body that could be corrupt, decay. And so we have this great picture. Jesus said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no other sign be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And here God Almighty gives you in this picture the fact that Jesus Christ, it was not possible that he should be holden of death. Now just before I pronounce the benediction, I want to show you in the book of Jonah one more phrase. I could speak on this for two hours, a series of lectures. Jonah was put out by the whale and he landed preaching. And it's a wonderful thing, because in chapter 3, you have a verse here, and if there's any preacher in this audience, I want you to look very closely at Jonah 3. Because the Lord cried unto jo the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now there's grace. Why didn't God put Jonah aside and choose somebody else? Why didn't God say, Jonah, you didn't want to do it. I'll raise up Habakkuk and I'll have him go. You don't get the reward. God says, Jonah, I've called you for a job and I'm going to have you do that job. And let me tell you, friends, right here tonight, I don't care who you are or what, you're done, what you've done, God can use you. I don't care if you've made a wreck of your life, if you've committed every sin in the book, if you've been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And the word of the Lord came to Donald Barnhouse the seventy-second time and the thousand-and-second time. Oh, what a wonderful fact. God is the greatest junk dealer that this world has ever seen. He deals in second-hand merchandise. And you and I are the living proof. And it doesn't make any difference what you've done. You lift your eyes to God and say, Lord, you knew what I was before you started to save me. He knoweth our frame and remembereth that we are dust. And God Almighty says, yes, I know, and I love you, and I'm going to lift you. And you can go out now, and you can be a blessing for me. In spite of your past, your past is under the blood. Your present is in the power of the Holy Spirit, and your future is in my hand. And you're mine, and I love you. And I'm going to deal with you, and I'm going to use you. But my heart is torn lest there be somebody here tonight who has bought his ticket and paid his fare and is on the outward journey and has not yet come to the place where he let God throw him overboard and make the return trip in the whale. God will make you come back in the whale if you make him do it. But if you say, oh, Lord God, I, I put me back, stop the boat, send a helicopter, take me back to shore, and I will do thy will, he'll do it. God will get you off the wreck. God will take you back if you let him. But, oh... Don't persist in thinking that you can get away from the presence of God. Don't think that you can run away from God. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And Jonah paid the fare thereof. And he never got delivered. And he never got any money back for the unused portion of his ticket. 
Christian, 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 don't, don't run away from the will of God. Just say, Lord, here I am, and I'm so many years old, and I've wasted so many efforts. What am I to do? I come to thee now, Lord, and here I am, empty-handed. What am I going to do? And he says, hold them out, my child, and I'll fill them. And then you start working for me and witnessing for me, and God will bless you, and God will use you. Shall we bow in prayer? Lord our God, we pray thee now that thou wilt go with us as we go. If there should be anyone here who has not been born again, we ask thee to accompany them with restlessness and give them no peace till they rest in Christ. We pray thee for any Christian that's trying to run away from thee. Lord, may the, thy word come to them tonight, the second time, or the thousand and second time, and this time may they listen to thee and not grieve thee any farther. Oh God, and unto thee be the glory and the honor and the dominion and the power and the majesty and the might. And all these things we pray to thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.